Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. We've been talking about the notion that all of us are spirits, traveling through the universe, sampling different realities, and choosing to participate in some of them. To support that notion that we're all spiritual tourists, uh, I've cited the experiences of Bob Monroe and Edgar Cayce. And I've also said that it helps a lot if we listen in this regard to the explanations given by the entity Seth about many different subjects. And today, we'll do that. I probably should say we'll continue that, because I have already covered a lot of the explanations given by the entity Seth, but today we'll talk about evolution and how matter is formed. And we'll talk just a little bit about science. Many respected scientists today contend that conscious life developed as a result of matter coalescing, coalescing together until it reached a critical mass where it spawned consciousness. They contend that, uh, that, has, that consciousness has gradually grown in complexity until reaching our present state of sophisticated consciousness. They extend that thinking to evolution, where one species gradually grew in the complexity and capabilities of its consciousness, to the point where it morphed into a more complex and intelligent species, currently us. Now, Seth and many others say otherwise on both counts. In some of the books that I've written, and also in some previous podcasts, I've addressed the shortcomings of Darwin's evolution theory and the limits of materialistic scientists. You might remember Betty White and her Invisibles, where they explained that there is a frequency of consciousness outside of our material Earth, that is a tree, a frequency of consciousness that is a particular animal, uh, an electric spark, and a human being. And that when, when that frequency manifests uh, in our human time-space illusion, the frequency appears as uh, the fox or the man or the tree. They claim that it is consciousness that evolves, not anything material, and that matter is just an arrested frequency because the frequency, frequency has to slow down in order to appear in our human time-space illusion. The entity, Seth, had a lot to say about evolution and how matter is formed, and today I'll just uh, go over a very small part of Seth comments, Seth's comments on these subjects. Now, Darwin's theory of evolution, he explained, has no real validity 
and he stated that unequivocally. He said it's valid only within the very limited perspectives that we have within the human time-space illusion. All consciousness exists at once, and therefore it did not evolve in those terms. It's according to when you come into the picture, when you choose to observe, what part of the, quote, play that is our illusion that you choose to observe, and he also points out that form did not evolve consciousness. It was the other way around. So he maintained unequivocally that consciousness evolves form, not the other way around. Uh, and this is precisely what the invisibles emphasized. Consciousness, he explained, forms itself into many different patterns and he used the phrase, rains down on reality. It did not come from atoms and molecules scattered by chance throughout many universes. It did not, quote, arrive because inert matter, it did not arrive because inert matter suddenly soared into activity and song. It's not inert matter suddenly deciding to sing songs and do dances. Consciousness existed first and evolved into the form into which it began to manifest itself. So it existed first and evolved into the form into which it began to manifest itself. He also reminded us that if we realize the simultaneous nature of time and existence, which many others have also stated, then we would know that the theory is as beautiful a tale as the theory of biblical creation. Both are handy, he said. Both are methods of telling stories. But no form of matter, however potent, will ever be self-evolved into consciousness. Without consciousness, there would be no matter in the universe. He stressed that. Without consciousness, there would be no matter in the universe. Every bit of matter, on the other hand, has consciousness. That's something to think about. Every bit of matter has consciousness. The table, the chair, whatever. Every bit of matter has consciousness, and the consciousness came first. Consciousness came before the material thing that we perceive. Now, all the ages of the earth the past, the present, the future, they all exist right now. Admittedly, that's difficult to imagine, but try. Now, some life forms being developed in what we think of as the present will not appear physically until what we think of as the future. We choose to focus our attention on a highly specific, a very narrow field of space-time coordinates. Closing, ourself, closing ourselves off from all of the others. In fact, complicated physical forms are not the result of previous simpler ones. Well, that's interesting. The complex physical forms are not the result of previous simpler ones. They all exist in larger terms at once. On the other hand, more complicated organizations of consciousness are necessary to form, enter, and vitalize 
the more complicated physical structures like us. The more complicated organizations of consciousness are necessary to form, enter, and vitalize the more complicated physical structures like us. Life goes out in all directions. Life goes out in all directions. There's no single-line development. We do ourselves a great injustice by limiting our conception of ourselves, he said. Now, Seth was careful to distinguish that none of this means a personality cannot invest a portion of his or her personality into an animal form. That's not transmigration of souls. It does not mean a man can be reincarnated into an animal. It does mean that personalities, man or woman, personalities can send a portion of their energy into various kinds of form. Personalities can send a portion of their energy into various kinds of form. Now, when when a personality does this, uh, the man or the woman does not become an animal, nor does he invade the body of one. He simply adds some of his energy to that already present in in the animal. So, man or woman... You project some of your consciousness to an animal. You're simply adding some of your energy to that already present in the animal. There are no limits to the development of any individual consciousness. Now, that's, uh, that's a, a big thought there. There are no limits to the development of any individual consciousness. So a dog is not limited to being a dog in other existences. An animal consciousness after death may join with other consciousnesses to form a gestalt, a formation that is more complex, where abilities are pooled, combined, so to speak, and the combined cooperation makes possible, for example, a change of species. Now, it gets pretty complex there, that thought. But in this regard, Seth reminds us that consciousness by its nature must change. And so, identities must change. Not one blotting out the other, but building upon it. While each succeeding step is maintained, not discarded. So each succeeding step or stage is maintained, not discarded. On the other hand, as noted already, a personality might be part of a given entity, right? You and me, as part of a, uh, of a given entity, we're down here doing our thing. But on our own, we can develop interests quite different. It, us, we, the consciousness, can then remain lonely or attach itself to or gravitate toward other entities with interests like its own. So again, the original connections are not severed, but new ones are made. Interestingly, almost any cell, cells that make up our bodies, almost any cell has the capacity for growing into any given organ or forming any part of the body. Scientists, of course, our scientists have recently figured that out and stem cell therapy uh, has become commonplace. But just as a stem cell uh, has the capacity for growing into any given organ, Seth maintains this applies also between species so that it's theoretically possible for us to see the world through a frog's eye. (laughs) 
Now, just a few thoughts now about the limits of material science. Uh, <clears throat> this was addressed in uh, a previous book and some uh, previous podcasts, but I'll repeat here just a few of Seth's observations there. To start with, contrary to science's intense, narrow focus on only physical matter and only on what we can perceive with our physical senses, as being the only legitimate sources of knowledge, right? contrary to, to that, to scientists' position, he maintains no objective reality exists but that which is created by consciousness. No objective reality exists except that which is created by consciousness. Consciousness always creates form, he says. Consciousness always creates form, not the other way around, as scientists seem to think. We all think objects exist independently of us. So scientists can't be blamed for making that a basic assumption of their work. But in fact, they are manifestations of our own psychic selves. They meaning objects. Objects are manifestations of our own psychic selves. Now, our consciousness is not some cosmic bag of bones thrown together, he said. It is not formed accidentally through chemical processes. We form the physical body at a deeply unconscious level, with intimate knowledge of each cell. Our entire physical existence depends on the smooth functioning of our unconscious or inner ego or inner self, but it gets and correlates its information not from our external physical senses, not from the external physical senses. Rather, it gets it through inner channels. It looks into subjective dimensions that are literally infinite. All the necessary information is given to us through inner channels before we can so much as lift a finger. At that level, we are all clairvoyant and telepathic so that, for example, we're aware of major disasters before they occur. We do not realize that there's a portion of us who knows that its own powers are far superior to those shown by the ordinary self. We're in the midst of many other systems of reality, but do not perceive them, and that includes our scientists. As I've noted in previous podcasts, as long as scientists maintain that there can be no truth beyond that which we can verify and duplicate with our five external physical senses and the instruments that extend them, they are doomed never to discover the realities that lie beyond the perception of those senses. They're doomed never to discover the realities that lie beyond the perception of those senses. All right, now to the question of precisely how consciousness forms physical matter. <clears throat> it has to do with electromagnetic energy units, or EEUs, as Seth termed them, electromagnetic energy units. <clears throat> they are formed spontaneously from the electromagnetic reality of feelings emitted from each consciousness. In other words, emanations from consciousness. That's how these EEUs are formed. The intensity of the feelings determines the characteristics of the units themselves. As certain ranges of intensity are reached, they are propelled into physical actualization. 
We interpret some of them as events, as dream events, as hallucinations or movement through time. In some dreams and out-of-body experiences, our own consciousness moves faster than light, so we're able to perceive some of them as mass or matter. They are what Seth termed incipient forms of reality. Incipient forms of reality. Reality in the making. Now, in somewhat mechanical terms, some faster-than-light particles slow down on the outside perimeter. And to some extent, they imprison the faster-moving particles at the center so that they move only in a confined area. Now, the behavior of such units forms the particular camouflage of any given system. Right? The behavior of such units forms the particular camouflage of any given system, and that includes our human time-space illusion of forms and matter. Now, while the camouflage structure gives the impression of closed systems, as noted previously, no system is closed, and energy flows freely from one to the other. It's our tight, limited focus that makes the electromagnetic energy units invisible to us and not perceived by us. We perceive only the results of what they do. The physical brain is the mechanism by which thought or emotion is auto automatically fo formed, right? The physical brain is the mechanism by which thought or emotion is automatically formed into EEUs of the proper range for us to use. There has to be a certain frequency range, remember? They are the psychic building blocks of matter. Uh, now, in, in one of uh, Seth's earlier books, the Seth Material, Seth uh, discussed what he called inner vibrational touch, which enables the observer to feel the experience of being anything he chooses within his field of notice. People, trees, insects, blades of grass, or whatever. Right? Inner vibrational touch. Now, this is similar to Bob Monroe's experience. You might remember when he traveled in time with his guides to the year 3000 in our human time-space illusion. Right? Uh, <clears throat> that's where he was able to experience being a panther, a leaf, and a cloud, and so forth. So a rudimentary knowledge of these electromagnetic, ener electromagnetic energy units and how they operate gives us some glimpse of how this might be achieved from a mechanical perspective. Our inner self forms the body in this manner. It transforms thoughts and emotions into physical counterparts. Our inner selves, individually and en masse, send out psychic energy, forming tentacles that coalesce into form. The electromagnetic reality of each thought and emotion is unique. The electromagnetic reality of each thought and emotion is unique. So we're each acting as transformers, unconsciously transforming highly sophisticated EEUs into physical objects. We exist in the middle, in the middle of what, or the midst of uh, what he termed pseudo-matter. Each thought or emotion exists as an EEU, not as yet perceived by our scientists. Again, the intensity of the thought or the emotion determines not only the strength, but the permanency of the physical image into which it will be materialized. We humans are made of the same ingredients as a chair, a carrot, a stone, a bird, a pillow, 
all our consciousnesses join together in a giant cooperative effort to make the forms we perceive. I've mentioned that in the past, the joint effort of us consciousnesses uh, to create the world we're perceiving. Permanency of any form is an illusion, since consciousness must be in a state of constant change. Now, the EEUs work in conjunction with the coordinate points that I discussed in a previous podcast, which are these, are, these are like invisible power plants that are activated when any emotional thought or feeling of sufficient intensity comes into contact with them, further intensifying whatever activates them, regardless of whether it's positive or negative, right? So <laughs> they're neutral that way, so... Uh, thoughts, negative thoughts, positive thoughts, of any of great intensity, uh, they further intensify whatever activates them. Now, in this manner, the subjective experience of any of us is automatically experienced as EEUs. We're talking about the subjective experience of any of us. It's automatically expressed as EEUs, which would usually be material form in our camouflage reality or an event. The thoughts and emotions and the corresponding mental images are therefore the blueprints for what will materialize. And as noted, the greater the intensity, the greater likelihood of the materialization. Uh, in that regard, I'll, I'll mention several years ago, a woman named Lynn Grabhorn wrote a book titled, Excuse Me, Your Life is Waiting. Um, I was working at the time with people on long-term disability who wanted to get a job or start a business. Now, by coincidence, uh, after, shortly after I read that book, uh, two female clients in the Pacific Northwest told me it helped them a great deal. Now, what uh, Lynn Graham Horn advised was doing essentially what Seth recommends, and she too emphasized that intensity is the key to making things happen for you. And also, as I've mentioned recently, uh, the book Into the Magic Shop uh, is the story of a young kid who becomes a successful brain surgeon and venture capitalist. Uh, and there, too, uh, Into the Magic Shop, there, too, the uh, intensity of the thought and the willpower of this uh, doctor uh, resulted in his being able to materialize uh, what he wanted. Okay, uh, that's it for today, and uh, uh, next time that I discuss, discuss more of Seth's uh, input, I'll be discussing the alternate stages of consciousness, which are interesting, and uh, so that'll, that'll be interesting. And again, I'm Dan McEnany, bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.